Hello and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I'm talking to Dagobert Renouf. We discussed the power of Twitter and building an audience before creating a product. Dagobert shares his personal journey with Logology, the wonderful people who made the logo for my own brand, the Bootstrap Founder, and how he lost motivation before finding inspiration again from his Twitter community. He also talks about the importance of understanding customers' problems before building a product and how he plans to apply this lesson to Logology version 2. I hope you're ready for an emotional journey of entrepreneurship. And before we get on that roller coaster, let me thank the sponsor for this show, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product, acquired customers, and is generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is that you're not growing for whatever reason. It might be a lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest, and you feel stuck. What should you do? Well, the story that I personally would like to hear right now is that you buckled down and somehow reignited the fire and getting past yourself and all the cliches and start working on your business rather than just in the business. You then start building an audience and you move out of your comfort zone and do sales and marketing like a pro and in six months you've tripled your revenue. The reality isn't as simple. Situations may be different for every founder facing this crossroad, but too many times, the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business becomes less valuable or worse, worthless. If you find yourself here, or your story is likely headed here and down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on Acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time is the smart move. Acquire.com is free, free to list, and they've helped hundreds of founders already. So go to acquire.com and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. And now, here is Dagobert Renouf. Over the last year, I think I've seen you tweet one particular kind of message and you tweeted that several times. You said that you expected entrepreneurship to be different than what you found it to be. Things took much longer than you thought and you're still doing it. So you must have found a way to deal with these ups and downs of being a founder. So what's the mindset that you have now approaching your business and your, your life on Twitter compared to what it was when you got started? So, you know, when we started, we just had this dream of, because it's me and my wife, you know, it's really like my wife and I team in this whole thing. And when we started, we were so naive. It was, we basically saw a logo generator website online that was making a ton of money. And we thought, oh, we can do better because we have better logos. So we are better, which is going to, you know, that's like, I think uh, a thing a lot of people have is that we think like you just look at one dimension of a successful startup. And you think, oh, I can do better than this dimension. So for us, it was like, oh, we can do cooler logos. But, you know, we were shit at marketing. We didn't have the right process to talk about it. We didn't do enough uh, validation, like all these mistakes. So eventually, uh, that's why it takes longer than, you know, we thought. I don't think we're like that slow. It's just that there's this fantasy that, because like the drive to build a startup you have to have this kind of fantasy that's going to work out. Like you have to think, oh yeah, it's going to work out. We're going to do this crazy idea and it's going to be uh, successful. So eventually we found that it wasn't the case after a couple of years. I mean, we found out pretty quickly, but you know, uh, it kept going for a few years like this. And I think the reason we, we didn't stop is that, I mean, we're at a stage in like our uh, work life uh, where like both of us have more than 10 years experience. And we've done the rounds, like, you know, we've been working at companies, uh, mostly freelancing also. We've worked on ton different projects. And for me, like, the reason I started Logology is because I thought there's no way I'm going to have, there's no way I'm going to be happy otherwise. Like, I tried everything because I didn't want to build a startup initially because uh, it seems to, so scary. I always knew it was scary and dangerous, but I was... uh at this time in my life, when I was like 28, I had done so many things that I realized, okay, if I want to be happy, if I don't want to be miserable, I have to do this, even though it seems impossible. So that's why it kept us going. It's like the alternative seems too bad. So even if you don't make money, even if you feel like it's impossible, if, even if all that, 
she doesn't want to go back to client work and I don't want to go back to a job or client work. We really don't. So we're just going to try everything that we can. And I remember after like two years on this, uh, I thought, oh, you know, we spent like a third of our savings and then it's going to be successful. And when we reached that point, it was like, we're not making any money. <laughs> like, it's like, we're not making like maybe like $70 a month or something. Like we're making nothing and we're spending all of our savings. And I was saying to myself, okay, I can either stop or like go all in. And it was scary, but we thought, okay, we're just going to go all in, put everything like until the last maybe like 10K so that we have still have like survival in time to find a job, you know, in terms of like the apocalypse. But if it's, uh, but basically it was like, go all in. And once we decided wow. that it was like, you know, fuck it. Like if, even, even when we seem like, even when we had no clue how to succeed, because at some point it was like that for a few months, we had literally no idea. We were stuck and we're like still better than the alternative. So let's keep trying, you know? Do you think having a business with your life partner made that easier or harder? <laughs> What's, because I remember building a business with my own girlfriend and while it had a lot of benefits, there, there was always some kind of tension in there too. How was that for you? So one thing that changed is that we used to split everything in terms of money because when we met, we were both freelancing and struggling. So we always had that thing of like, we're not going to mix money because it's going to complicate everything. And we are both trying to find our footing. So it would be, you know, uh, uh, a burden for any of us. But then we kept that going for almost 10 years. And it's only, you know, during the startup, but that we thought, because uh, I had more savings, that uh, we said, you know, we're just going to mix everything together. Like it's just one thing now. And I think for us, it's real, but like we had no problem building this startup together. There was nothing bad. Like nothing bad happened in our relationship. And I think also it's because we decided to do it after like eight years together. And for eight years, we always tried to not mix things, to not mix things up, to, but we, we had still the opportunity to work together on a couple of projects, you know, cause she's a designer and I'm a developer. So sometimes while freelancing, we teamed up. So we knew we could work well together, but yeah, I think. And I think that's the thing with a co-founder because we had also another person at some point for one year or so that was in the team, but that didn't work out. And I think it's because it's so stressful. You need someone you've been through shit with already. And, you know, with Lucy, we had overcome quite a deal of, you know, challenges in our relationship. Because like when you're together for eight years now, it's like almost, uh, oh shit, I don't even remember. I don't know if it's 11 or 12, but like, I think it's between 11 and 12 years. And like, uh, to reach that stage in like a relationship and also now we're married. So like in a marriage, it, I mean, you're going to have to deal with your, you know, shadows, deal with your dark things and overcome it together. I mean, if you want to have a nice relationship, you know, cause like, I guess people from the fifties, they could have a shitty relationship and that was normal. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah, for us, it's like, times, right? yeah, you know, <laughs> but for us, it's about, you know, love and supporting each other and all that. And we wouldn't, we never compromise basically. So we always try to grow together and we managed to do that. So yeah, honestly, doing a startup wasn't the hardest thing we went through together. So, Well, that, that says a lot, you know, because I, I think many people, they are interested in maybe building something with their partner because there's always, you know, a, a communication channel with your partner that you just don't have with other people. Yeah. You can be more honest. You can see and feel how they feel, right? That's that's something that you don't really have with just co-founders. But then they are afraid of the potential of ruining their relationship if the business doesn't work out. You know, that's 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 one of the big things that keeps so many people from even attempting this. So what I hear you say is that if you already went through something really hard together, then this is just, you know, one more thing to do together. Yeah, that's is that, it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, basically, you know, we could have split like two or three times in the first six years, like big crisis in like what we expect from the relationship, uh, you know, our goals and all that. And so once you've went through all of these, basically, we felt like it was right. Like we felt because like we were very careful not to not to jump into that. But then eventually it became, yeah, you know, it's going to work. But like it was out of maturity and not naively dreaming of like, oh, I'm going to build a startup with my girlfriend I met six months ago. It was more like, okay, we, 
basically, I think the rule, and I, th and I think this should apply to any co-founder now that I've had other bad experiences too, is that you should pick someone you could have a baby with. And like, if you can't, like, I mean, even like if you're not attracted to them, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like you could raise a baby with, let's say. And, and if you don't feel that level of confidence that you would like be able to overcome, for example, differences in how you want to raise it, uh, then it's not going to work with a startup because it's the same thing. I mean, I don't have a baby and people hate me when I say that. Oh, you don't have a baby. Like you don't have kids, but you know, uh, I still feel like it's a good analogy. And cause like, you're just going to have to confront everything because, because now, because you have so much skin in the game. It's so scary. Like it's so survival on the line, especially when you go all in and like all of these, I mean, all the shit is going to come up. Everything is going to come up. It's, it's like, it's a crisis, like startup for, especially at the beginning, it's crisis mode for a long time. So if you don't trust the partner or co-founder, you know, you're in with, uh, it's going to, I mean, it can turn out okay. You know, maybe you're going to have a good surprise, but it's like, you know, it's flipping a coin. Yeah, that's a, that's a big risk. And honestly, I very much relate to this. I had the exact same experience building our business and particularly selling the business. Like once we, once we had to hand it over to somebody else, like there oh, was yeah. grief involved. It was like some, oh, something yeah. had just died or was like taken away from us. So you saying that it's, it's like a person, it's like your child. Of course, it's not your child, right? It's a business. It doesn't love you back, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's even worse than a child. <laughs> It's, it's it's the the worst version of a child. It's not even like a pet, right? That comes <laughs> yeah. kind of is kind of cute. It's never cute, but um, giving it away that that felt like such a painful experience for both of us. That there was some kind of separation anxiety, all that stuff that you don't expect. But that I, I very much relate to this, and I think I loved the approach of making sure that the person you are going into business with is like a co-parent for for that fictitious child makes so much sense to me because you will have those fights about where it's going to go to school, you know, yeah. how it's going to grow up, what you're going to feed it, who's going to play with. All of this in a business can be translated into business things. Uh, that's that's a very good analogy. And for example, the co-founder we had with whom it didn't work, it's like he always wanted to get funding, uh, wanted to do YC, he wanted to do all these things. And he was pushing us to he was pushing us to do that, and you know I was like we were open to it, but like when we were digging and trying to prepare like everything to do that, we noticed it's not who we are, like it's not what we want to be, you know. But like so, like when you truly know the person, you're probably more likely to be more aligned on these things too. Yeah, it's also an honesty thing, right? Like it's, for some people, it's hard to even express what they really honestly think because they've never really reflected on it. Yeah, like, true. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming like your co-founder, they had this vision of what a startup is. And if you never have the conversation about what a startup looks like for exactly, you, your exactly. kind of startup, right? Then of course you go into different directions. And it's e easier for a, a couple to have these conversations because they just come up when they come up, right? You, you don't have to force them. You just talk about these things over time. I, I want to ask you a couple more, let's say operational things about running a business with your partner because I, I feel super interesting to me. And you're on my show, so I'm going to ask you. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what, I, right. what I wonder is I, if people sometimes have different styles of productivity, p different kinds of approaches, how work works, like how they work, how they communicate. How have you found a balance between your wife and yourself in, in your own business? How, how do you, do you have different styles or do you have the same style? And how, how does it work in the day-to-day -day of your business? So we have different styles. Uh, she usually goes through huge lists of things. Uh, and I tried that, but like, I, I like, it's too much for me. It's too overwhelming. So I end up like having almost nothing and trying to go day by day. Just, I basically focus more on habits than on, uh, goals. Uh, and she's more goals oriented, but to, for the team part, I think a good thing is we have very separate, uh, roles. Uh, you know, there's very few times that we need to work together on one specific thing. So that's very helpful because, you know, by doing this, it's way easier to collaborate. She does her own way. I do mine. No problem with that. Did you set these roles up intentionally in the beginning? Like, did you, did you ever have like a meeting where you said, you're going to be responsible for this. I'm going to be responsible for that, like for all kinds of things, or did that just organically grow? It really happened organically. Like, uh, Basically, she does everything design related. 
for local startup, obviously, it's very important. And and I'm more like into business stuff. So I'm going to do, of course, coding, but also all the business, uh, boring shit also, and also marketing now. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, but I think one thing that I'm remembering now is that for the first couple of years, it was very tough. And what was tough was actually the commitment we expected from each other. That was one area where we had to, you know, had some crisis and had to overcome it. Because like, since when we started, we had this dream of like, yeah, we're just going to work three hours per day and make millions. That was basically the assumption. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Didn't work out. Uh, So so for the first year, we actually did that. We didn't work much. We were full-time on it, but she was working two days a week and I was working every day, but only three hours. So, you know, kind of the same result. And eventually... I started, I think I was the first to notice we need to push hard. Uh, I think we both realized, but she was like hesitating. So I ended up working way more. And then for a few months, uh, she had still like some other engagement that she was doing. Like she was also teaching design uh, for a couple of days a week and stuff like this. And there was kind of like a a friction between she was doing way less than me for this like couple months because I started working way more on the project and she was still like uh, engaged with other things. So eventually we had to really go through this and like, okay, what are we doing? Like, are we going full time on this? So eventually we decided to do this, like, and to both, you know, work our ass off on it basically. But um, yeah, and then once that was done, uh, that was also easier to collaborate because then, you know, since it's both uh, a priority in our lives, when there's need to collaborate, we can just do this. Uh, I mean, we can just decide to work on it together. Like it's, I don't know, like I think once you have the motivation uh, thing down, uh, productivity is easier to happen. Uh, now, also one thing I noticed is that I really suck with deadlines. I never meet them. For me, it's mostly like goals. It's like it's it's a, it's like a carrot in front of a donkey. Like it's making me move, but I don't actually care about eating the carrot. I'm just like I'm using it as a way to move. But like so, I would have this beautiful uh, calendar of like all of my goals and showing it to Lucy. I'm like, hey, these are my goals. It's like, oh, awesome. And then two weeks later, when I haven't met any of these goals because for me there was just carrots, uh, she's like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like it's like it was freaking her out because she's completely different. Uh, so yeah, so I definitely had to, you know, had to find a middle ground here in what we call like deadlines and all this stuff. So so it's not too stressful because also a problem we had is that she would work on something and before the time that she was done with it, uh, I would lose interest and move to something else. And so I would never basically do the last bit that we need to merge her work into production. And that was very painful to her, which I definitely understand. But to me, I was used to working solo. It was hard to like learn to, okay, I need to do this even though I lost interest. I'm not motivated, but we need to do this because she worked on it. And and eventually after doing this a couple of times, I realized also it's also just a better idea to ship faster and not wait and keep bouncing between ideas and instead, okay, one idea this week, ship it and then move on. And don't move on until you you ship it. I wonder, because you just mentioned this divergent way of dealing with work and goals and deadlines and all that. Did that play a role in how how long it took you to fully commit to this? Like, Take me back to the day when you had the conversation or the, the weeks or probably months that you had this conversation about, should we do this full time now or should we put more effort into this? What were the, the doubts and the, the skeptical parts of this? Like what was holding you back until that point? So I think what was holding her back is that she has a personality where she she always has tons of things going on. Like she's also a novelist. She's writing her second novel now. You know, first one is published uh, a couple years ago. Uh, she also used to have a radio show that she put on hold now. You know, she does tons of things. And I'm like one thing guy. So I think that was the big thing is that at first I didn't want to commit uh, because I was kind of lazy. I was like coming back from the job life, wanting to take it easy, thinking it would be enough to succeed. And she was doing kind of the same, but from the perspective of wanting to do this in parallel to other projects. So it worked out to having the same number of kind of hours. But then eventually when I 
started seeing it was failing and it, it wouldn't work without full commitment. Uh, I mean, and it's not even going to work with full commitment. It's not enough. You probably need more, but like at least we had to do the full commitment to at least get a shot. And um, so, yeah, when I realized that first, I was pretty frustrated that she wasn't, uh, but, but like it was mostly like just having to sync each other. And then we had the conversation and I think the pain was that it was hard for her to decide am I giving up on other things you know is she giving up on the radio show because like we didn't make any money back then it was like about one one year and a bit more than this that we decided that and we hadn't even launched you know so we weren't making any money we were still trying to improve the product and all that and yeah it was yeah uh, oh, I know the mistake like I'm holding back the comments I know here, but <laughs> I'm commenting myself you know in my head I see all my tweets in front of my you know in my right. head all of the things I tweeted about to advise people against it now but yeah oh, so, so yeah it's, it's so hard to take your own advice sometimes right with that kind of stuff it's, you, oh yeah I, mean, I understand perfectionism like particularly if you work with a designer or in the field where design matters and logo creation obviously yeah. is important like you want it to be as good as you can because everything you put out is going to be seen by lots of people right that that must feel like a lot of pressure it's not some back-end system that you build where people connect to an api and it doesn't matter like what your implementation of the api looks like as long as it yeah, works yeah. like you're creating visual stuff that's, that is supposed you know, to that's a very interesting something. point that's a very interesting point because i think for us uh there are some areas where we have been where I have been perfectionist that was useless, like the tech stack and bullshit like this. Yeah, doesn't you matter. Know, I wasted a, <laughs> a ton of, like six months probably. That's a huge time trying to reinvent the wheel for everything because I come from engineering. So I was basically so happy to finally have all the power to decide what mm -hmm. I was going to do. So now I can yeah. waste time freely, you know. Uh, I didn't, so, you know, that kind <laughs> of mistake. Um, but yeah, that, that's a very good point because I think the reason why we kept going with Logology is because some people really loved it. And I think the reason they really loved it is that on the design side, we didn't compromise. Like Lucy was being a perfectionist, but that was useful because you're designing logos for people. And we differentiated with quality, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, which isn't easy to do. Like if you want to differentiate with quality, you have a lot of work, but to be honest, I think if she hadn't been a perfectionist, maybe would ha we would have given up, uh, you know, before we had uh, some success. Because even though the product had problems and all the marketing wasn't done right and all that, when we asked for feedback, we always had like a percentage of people who said, shit, this is miles better than everything that exists because of the quality. And because it's a designer, it's not like a random database online or something like that. It's like a designer who spent time crafting everything and she's experienced and she's good and it shows. So, yeah. And also for like the design of the landing page or stuff like this, these are the kind of things that can still count. Like it still counts. And like, uh, of course, if you design a beautiful landing page for a useless product, it's not going to work. But like, at least it shows people, I don't know, I think it also gives people a reason to check it out. So I'm not saying it's optimal to start like this because I think you have better ways, more, uh, more effective to get a product to market. But I think the silver lining of being perfectionist with the landing page and all that is that it got people more interested, more curious and feel like, oh, this is not just a stupid uh, product. It's like something people have put work in and uh, let me check it out. So there's still like a silver lining to this uh, against this mantra or like ship ugly things and stuff like that mm -hmm. with let's talk a li little bit about logology because i i just love the idea of the product it's like a high quality automated software product that's that's hard to to pull off right it's always uh, either you have these gigantic massive amount of customers and you just give them as little as you can yeah. to make them happy or you have a few really select customers and you're bespoke and custom and you seem to have found really good middle ground to produce high quality for whoever needs it it's great i, I love the idea what i wonder about uh, logology as a tool and, and this is kind of both a business question and a technical question because i I'm also standing between both of these worlds. 
like how often do you need to update the product like how how current in in many ways is the product because design to me is a very trend focused uh, thing where do you have a lot of things changing over time oh okay but good good design doesn't necessarily need a lot of changes but yeah, the technology yeah. might like how how much goes into that like how often is logology being you know improved upon so we mostly update it because we want to give more choice to people and since and since it's only Lucy designing the logos because uh, basically you know uh, it's it's a tool that you use and it's going to generate a logo for your startup based on designs that she made ahead of time uh, and so the first thing we do is since we are slow at adding designs because it's just her even though she's very fast but she's alone so I think she did more than 800 now which is a lot of logos, <laughs> you know? Wow. And, um, and, and the thing is, we still don't have enough for many industries. Like if you're in the food business or, you know, hair salon. So basically we just started with startups. So a lot of tech because that was our entry market. But for example, we add a lot of designs often for all these other categories that we haven't attacked yet. I think our goal is to have I think a minimum to have a good answer to anyone would be 2,000. And ideal would be five. So that's a lot. So we have time, you know, to... She, she has time to still work on it because she loves it. So that's like... For her, it's just like... She loves doing that every week. So that's perfect. And that's then so we, cool. And then we're also going to add new fonts and new colors from now and then. But... Uh, and, you know, there's always more to do. But to answer your question about design we're really not aiming to be trendy. That's really not the goal. Like the dream with Logology that we've had from the beginning, and especially Lucy, is we want to make something that's lasting 100 years. Like it's like universal forever kind of logos. Like the, that's the level of quality she's going after. So wow. we did. I don't think we followed any trend. Uh, you know, the, the references she used for inspiration are like... Uh, super strong logos that last uh, a lifetime so that's really the, the the mindset and the goal and the dream of lucy i mean one of her dreams is that one day we have enough logos and we release a book with all her design she's so because like she's so proud of it and she's right to like to make a book with like all the design she's made in our catalog that people can pick from uh yeah so that that's really like I love that that's how we approach it yeah it's not about trends at all nothing like that yeah that's cool. I love the idea of taking an info product idea in there as well, which a book is to me like it's uh, the, the traditional, most traditional kind of info product is the, oh, the yeah, physical true. book, like the coffee table design book, right? That's yeah, just, yeah. it's exactly, informational, yeah. it, it's inspirational, has all these things. I love that that's part of your journey because I've seen you, you in particular, include info products into the whole sphere of your business. I, I've, uh, the best example to me is your, your Twitter course that you've recently yeah. released to, to great applause and success, which I'm super happy for you for. That, Thanks, really, that, that went over so well. That, that also, got to say, like the design part of it in yeah. particular is, uh, I, I feel this is intentional. It's super well designed. Oh, definitely. And Crazy it points people back at the other business, right? Is, is that part of it? Oh, you mean to bring back people to Logology? It wasn't. Is it connected? So <laughs> it wasn't connected, but it will be because because mm. by launching the course, because Logology, no matter how like we managed to bring it to three k per month with only you know Twitter, you know all that, you know that we managed to pull off with marketing, and we have also a lot of uh, stuff working on. We are working on for SEO, so we can definitely grow it further. But over time, we noticed logo isn't the biggest problem. So we're actually thinking of pivoting away from that. But by doing the course and releasing it, and so Lucy designed everything, obviously the logo, uh, the landing page. Landing page is a team effort because she hates the web. And that's actually why she's such a good designer. I think it's like, she thinks it's gross. Uh, it's not yeah. subtle. There's nothing interesting in there because like she comes from print and like way, you know, super high quality stuff. So I think that's why also we make a great team is that uh, I know how to do web design because I also used to do it. Uh, but then with her sensitiv sensitivity for, you know, doing something a bit different, it, we always create something that stands out. So I love that. So anyway, 
a lot of praise I got from, for the course was actually for the landing page. And because of this, we realized we never had as many praise for the fucking logo. <laughs> you know, so it was like <laughs> people don't really care as much about logos as they care about, uh, you know, the whole brand. And that was the direction we were going towards. But the course only made it clearer that, you know, that's where we should go. Like, uh, instead of just give people a logo, give them also some illustrations for their landing page, a whole vibe of like how to do your buttons, how to do navigation, how to make your landing, like everything so that you, so that instead of just getting out to, with a logo, you get out of like kind of like the landing page for the, for the Twitter course. Like you get out of kind of landing page assets. And so it will be more connected. But yeah, there's not really a big jump from one to the other. I haven't noticed anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you, you seem to have like d- d- interconnected ways of talking about your product, which is why why I thought this might be connected, right? Because you, with the memes that you post on Twitter, they kind of always, they, they go back to Logology. There's, yeah, there's connection there. And the quality yeah. of the website is, of the landing page for your course is so apparent that if I w- didn't already know that you are part of this design business. Yeah. I would try to figure out who made this. A lot of people ask see me if that. I can get a lot of same, people ask right? me that. So it, that, that is yeah. the connection I'm looking for. Let's talk about the memes a little bit because I want to I wanna really bring out the importance of your Twitter communication strategy that obviously you talk about in your course, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is such a refreshing way of somebody talking about a design business by not really talking about design at all, but by just being visually present in the space. How do you approach your customer acquisition strategy on Twitter? So uh, the main reason why I don't talk about design is that I don't really know as much. Uh, I think if someone was to do it, it would be Lucy because she's the design expert. And so it's not natural for me to start schooling people about design because I don't feel like an expert. And, but like, as I started tweeting, I noticed since my target market is startup founders, since this is the target market of Logology, just talking about my startup and my journey is enough to make startup founders notice and engage. And then, you know, after some time, they get curious, they check out my startup and boom, since it's a product targeted to them, they might buy something. So my acquisition is like, and I like this because I, because, you know, I still hate to promote stuff. I still feel bad. I still don't like being salesy. I still like, I'm always shaking when I do something like that. When I like when I did my Twitter launch course, uh, my, you know, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, it's horrible. I'm promoting shit. I really don't like that. So it was really nice suited for me that talking about my journey is enough. And because also because I'm, I talk about very. I mean, often I try to talk about authentic stuff, uh, whether it's with the memes uh, that are more funny or with the story tweets that I do, like the, the tweets are like a few lines telling a small story about my startup. And, but these make people curious because, uh, you know, I can check stats and I see some tweets get literally a thousand people to my profile, like real people that then check my website, which is huge, uh, just because they got curious as startup founders that, oh, wow, he's telling about something I went through. I want I wonder what his startup is. So that's really like a kind of, uh, sideways strategy it's never i'm never like this is my product i'm always this is my journey you know oh good thing you're on the same journey and probably need my product but it's kind of like but i i I didn't do it on purpose it's just uh happened because i was started building in public kind of and and noticed that it was working and the memes is the same like it's just a a meme is basically just a story in a different form factor it's nothing else so it's not just memes. It's, it's all the same thing. It's all the same story, uh, basically, which is 99% sharing my own experience, you know. So you draw, like, I, I was wondering, like, where do you find your inspiration for uh, what you post about? And for building in public, that inspiration comes from your lived experience, obviously. But if you use memes, there's a, an abstraction layer in between. Like, you have to find the right way to express yeah. what you feel through the meme. So how does it work for you? How do you discover your content that you are posting on Twitter? 
So yeah, it all starts with the tweets. Uh, I started doing text tweet before I started doing memes. And then I started turning my text tweet into memes. So basically step one is tweet about stuff. I mean, no, step zero is engage with other people because that's how I get the best ideas. Because like, if I'm just like, uh, you know, in front of like my tweet scheduler trying to write something, impossible. But if I'm just engaging, connecting, first I'll feel awesome because I'm not, a, I don't feel alone anymore. I feel like, you know, I'm part of a community and that's enjoyable. And I can think of good ideas. I can have, you know, by responding, you know, sometimes I'm not, some days I'm not going to have any, but some days I'm going to have five awesome ideas just by replying to people because they give me the topic and it's way easier to reply to someone than to come up with something. So that's step zero. Step one is going to be, uh, turn that into a tweet. I turn my best replies, then become tweets. I even have like, because I reply so much now. So now I even have an automation, an automation on make.com that checks all my replies for the past week, orders them, but most likes. And then I automatically, I can then turn them into drafts for my tweets uh, that I use for my best replies. That's pretty fun. And then from these tweets, I can make memes. And for memes, the only difference is that, again, as you said, I need to find uh, the good kind of templates. So originally I was just going to meme templates, websites like ImageFlip, but you know, as I do one per day and I try to always do another template, uh, I did more than 400 now. So that's like, uh, I quickly ran out. So now I go, so basically I have all these ideas and then one, one or two days a month, I'm going to just create memes. That's going to happen for like one day or two. And then for, for the first half of the first day, I'm just going to spend two to four hours going to all the meme websites. So I'm going to go to Reddit. I'm going to go to 9gag. I'm going to go to Imageure. I'm going to go to, you know, all these kind of websites and take, you know, I don't know, a hundred screenshots of meme that inspire me. It's exhausting. It takes hours. And then once I have the screenshots, I just saw through them and try to create like 30 memes for the month based on the ideas that were successful in my tweets, but turning them into jokes. This is incredibly instructive to me because it shows that you have a process. This isn't just happening. Oh right? shit! This is just like you oh, randomly yeah, yeah, yeah. coming up with memes. Yeah, yeah. There's an intentional strategy behind this. It's yeah. It's always been my thing with everything I do. Is like I try to mix authenticity with strategy. That's always been like my balance of because I think a trap we can fall into is to think oh, this person looks natural. And some people are like that. For example, I think someone like Peter Lovells is natural. He's like, he's not strategizing for shit. He's just like, just, you know, I mean, with his product, he is, but I mean, like with his Twitter or his like uh, uh, in engagement and all that, he's not doing anything with, with whatever content he puts out. He doesn't calculate or strategize and it works. But for me, I think it's too scary. Like, it's too scary to just be fully, yeah, I'm just going to tweet whatever I want. And also because I noticed, you know, to be honest, most people who just tweet whatever they want, it's boring. Because, like, when you just don't confront yourself to, like, okay, what people want to read and trying to, you know, not compromise, but uh, put yourself in a different light so it's more understandable, like, kind of, like, design what you want to share. I mean, you can get way further. So, yeah, and, and also with the strategy, like, Twitter, you can be, like, you know, some people... And usually it's people who suck at Twitter, sadly, they're going to say, uh, I mean, suck, who, who fail, sadly, is that they're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm just doing whatever I want. I'm just posting whatever I want. And that's kind of like uh, uh, a cop-out. A cop it's like it's a way to avoid actually putting work into it, because if you put work into it, then you can fail. And if you fail, you feel like shit and it hurts. So you don't want to feel that. But yeah, I always try to. So yeah, even my posts, which are, I think, pretty authentic. I mean, they are, it's like very honest and that's how they come across, I think. There's this whole strategy behind it to how to give them the most visibility uh, and all that. I always think, uh, you know, these two things. Yeah. And with you, what is very apparent to me is that you authentically want to help people. Like it's it's not that you want to authentically sell them as much as you can. That's not behind it, right? But behind your your Twitter stream, if, if I just open up your your Twitter profile, I I see you giving meaningful advice that is actually coming from a place of empowerment instead of a place of just trying to commercialize it. Oh, definitely, so, yeah. And sometimes I miss out on sales because I mean, but like I think yeah. it's better long term, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but like yeah. to be hon- I, yeah, and, to, and to be honest, yeah, there's always this strategic thing in my head because I think of all these things. You know, uh, what you said, like, is something I'm aware of. Like, I'm not like. Again, I'm authentic, but I'm aware of what I'm doing. I'm aware that that's my vibe, and my vibe is to be nice and to be helpful. So it's it's my real vibe, but I'm aware of it, and so I see also the strategic benefit to it. I see that there's a benefit to me uh, being authentic because long term it builds my brand as someone like that. Like it's proof that I'm the real shit. I'm not trying to sell, and that's the brand I want to build. So it's both authentic and something I'm aware of. And actually, I wanted to say uh, I wanted to say something about the way you do things. Uh, and <laughs> but like, I noticed that. So like, you have a Twitter course, right? And you still supported the shit out of me when I launched mine. And yeah. I was like, wow, this is of its vibe. This is definitely his vibe. Completely authentic. Completely you. And at the same time, my strategic brain was thinking, but long term. This is awesome for Arvid because it puts him in this position of the godfather of the community. And, and that's amazing also, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. you know, and I'm, uh, I'm sorry for like saying it like, because it's really not a way to like call out or anything, but that's just saying, and that's the same with like Daniel Vassalo, uh, you know, and like there, there's this thing about you, you can be authentically selfless and support each other. And at the same time, it helps you too. And it's good and it's okay. And it's like, and I think there's often like too much of a, of a focus on either you're like uh, selfish or you're like altruistic and you can't be like kind of like a mix of both. But I feel like you need both if you want to like survive and be happy and also, you know, have purpose and meaning. Yeah. If it, if it doesn't make money, it's not a business, but if it's, if it just makes money, then, then it's a, a grift, right? Then it's trying to extract money out of people without giving them anything in return. So you have to be in between these two. I, I love that you mentioned Daniel Vasallo and also you're right. I think like, I want to support you because I consider myself a person that supports the community. And yeah. through my actions, that shines through. That's kind of the idea. That's my strategy is to be nice because then people think I'm nice, which is yeah, the point, that, right? Yeah, because I want, I want that. I want to be that, and I I want people to understand that about me. Because then, then I get to actually have co- connections with people who are also nice, because they want to surround themselves with nice people, and then I benefit from being surrounded by cool people. And my my uh, experience that you had with me just now highlighting your course, even though I have one myself, I had the exact same experience with Daniel Vasallo. When I released my course in, in January 2022, must have been around that time, I, I DM'd Daniel and I said, hey, I'm going to release a Twitter course. I know you also have a Twitter course. So um, I hope you don't think that's infringing, you know? So funny because I sent you the same say. email a couple months later. Exactly. So and, and, I, and he responded with, hey, I said what I said. I, I said everything I wanted to say, and there's more room for you to say what you want to say. And I love that reply because yeah, it shows awesome that he reply, doesn't yeah. mind, right? He, he wants, and it, it not, not only does he not mind, he wants there to be more for the people who need it. And that's who I want to be as well. So uh, this has been a Twitter course circle jerk, I guess, but it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is kind of, it is what it is. I, but there's also some like 4D chess to this. You know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, <laughs> like there's some 4D chess because then, kind you of. know, Daniel Vassalo, like, he now has you and me and other people who create stuff kind of in his pocket in a positive way. Again, I'm sorry, because like all these terms sound shady, but it's not. And like, and at the end, you know, he grows bigger because of that. Like, and it's, and it's normal. And it's like, we all all do. Yeah. Yeah. And we all do. We all do. But like, I feel like there's this, yeah, I I just love to think of these things. And uh, yeah, I I don't want to, I don't want it to make sound to make it sound dark because it's really not what it is. It's, but it's you know. Yeah, it is not. I don't. Th- I don't think. It, I don't think it is dark at all. But I. I just think that um, our understanding of the word authenticity is often colored to mean something like um, naive, a bit tameness, or not not uh, not wanting anything for yourself. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Auth- Authentic is completely selfless. I don't think so. And none of us, like no person who becomes an entrepreneur, is completely selfless that just is not happening right otherwise you would just go into an ngo or to do charity work all, all the time but we want to build a business 
for the reason that we want to create wealth. And that yep. is a good goal because we want to support ourselves and our families and the people around us, our local community and our digital community, everybody around us. And it, by helping other people, that is how we get there. Right. So the selfless part is in the act of entrepreneurship, but the the being an entrepreneur is the selfish part. So it, it, it kind of it's hard to phrase this, but like self selfless self promotion is in there somewhere. Like you have to be kind of selfish, kind of selfless. It's a it's a mix of both, but you can still be authentic. You can still say, "Hey, I want to make money, and the way I want to make money is by making other people's lives amazing." I don't yeah, see yeah. a problem with that, right? Yeah, it's something that, and it's something I say a lot with the way I tweet, is that, because you know, to be successful on Twitter, you have to engage with people. It's part of the algorithm and all that. And so in my strategy, I always say I'm selfish. No, I'm, I'm selfless in the morning and selfish in the evening. Basically in the morning, <laughs> I engage with other people's content. And in the evening, it's only my tweets that matter, you know, because it's strategic to give them more visibility and all that. So, and it's the mix of both. It's selfless and selfish because that's the only that's way a, you can, you know. Way. And also, if you want to help others, you have to first grow yourself. And the more you grow yourself, the, and the more you grow yourself, the more you can help others. So it's really like if, if, you're, if you're not taking care of yourself, like, you know, it's just ne you're not going to be useful to anyone. It's the, the oxygen mask and the plane situation, yeah. right? Yeah. First, you have to pull it down, put it on yourself, and then you can help anybody around you. Because if you're out of breath, you're not going to help anybody. And, and that's, that's kind of uh, it's an important lesson to learn, I think, as a, as a creator, too. Because too many people get like, caught up in what other people expect of them. And then they don't have a, the capacity to just do the things that matter to them that keep them going anymore and and i was wondering about this because you were talking about how long it took for you guys to get to 3k mrr and how many hardships there were along the way did you ever have any major fails or problems or challenges in in your business like along the way over the last couple of years that were really kind of like scratching on the surface of your your mental health or your your willingness to stay in the game like were there those kind of moments too so when you say that the first thing that i think of it's more like the emotional journey and like the personal stuff alongside it for example we decide to do logology two months later my mom dies like surprisingly so that was like you know a big mess uh, and you know that's and then uh i think it was a year and a half later we still don't make money and the the co-founder we were splitting with it gets ugly like the split is ugly we really think we got, that's like that's when all of the shit with my father-in-law happened by, by the way that i do memes about because he was <laughs> was uh panicking <laughs> that you know we were in such a bad situation because we had to we paid him money and all that. And that was stressful for a few months. And we, so, and then of course, after that, there was having no idea how to do marketing, no idea how, knowing that we should do it, starting to understand this after a couple of years. Okay, we need marketing. We can't just do a good product. And then, I mean, having no clue uh, and having no, I remember saying to myself after like, right before I started tweeting and finally got some traction, I remember saying to myself, I know I need to do marketing and I'm not the guy to do marketing. I can't do it. I sh I'm shit. I I'm like, and Lucy, like she didn't even try. She's really not her thing. So it was like, it's hopeless. Like, because so, but I think all of these things, all of these painful moments, they're all related to kind of like our own growth. It's always l related to with like this this i thought there was going to be a bump in the hole and it's a fucking mountain and like it's way bigger than i thought it's so hard it's so challenging and that is the moment where like it goes down like emotionally and you know the motivation and all that and i think it's really at these moments that it's hard but then you know basic advice but like if you stick with it and you keep trying and you keep learning uh, you can either overcome it or find a way around it or, you know, realize you don't give a shit about that mountain. I'm just going to do another one, you know, but there's always something about, it's always like personal growth, basically. It's, it's, I think it's the same in life, like the, the big times, the hard times, 
it's also when you have the opportunity to grow the most. It's just that with a startup, it's like every three months, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but that's the same thing. <laughs> Never stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you found the community to be a helpful part of that? So like finding that motivation and the support? So I'm, I've always been so motivated, you know, in my life that I was very surprised that after two years of doing logology, I lost it. That was the first time in my life I lost motivation of something I still wanted to do, you know, kind of like a subtle difference. I deeply, I wanted to do it, but I had lost drive and that, that was the first time it happened to me. So that was very shocking because I thought I could depend on that my whole life. I thought I could just depend on motivation and brute force my way through it easily. So then it became harder because I started, you know, having insomnia and all that stuff. But, and that's when it became more important. Yeah. That's when going on Twitter and I don't think that it's directly motivating to me. There's, there's two things. There's first something that I, cause I used to work alone for, and my wife too, we both work kind of like alone. We all, we have each other, each of us have an office, uh, I mean, at home, but like we all work uh, in our separate things. And that was very shocking to me to see that by going on Twitter and engaging with other people and connecting with their story and giving a shit about their story instead of mine all the time, you know, well, you stop being depressed about it. You stop feeling bad about it because now you're thinking about somebody else's story. So you're thinking about, okay, this person is going through that and maybe I can even help them sometimes. So that's amazing because when you feel, when I feel down, uh, so that's why now it's part of my routine, you know, every morning. And it's mostly for like, uh, getting sales on my startup, getting awareness, getting traffic, getting followers, all that bullshit. But also I'm going there because every morning I know I'm going to be happy after I engage with people and connected with their story because it took me out of my own and I stopped thinking about my shit. And, and that's a huge thing. And then the other part is when you see very inspiring people that are killing it, it's also pushing myself. Sometimes it can be crushing when somebody is successful. So like you have to find a balance. It can be crushing to think somebody's making a hundred or a thousand times more money than you, even though they have basically the same tools at their disposal. Uh, they're just killing it and you're not. So it can be crushing. But, you know, in the right dosage and if you and if you do some work on yourself to take a step back and focus on, okay, I can see my own progress and I can be proud of that and I can be inspired to think, oh, wow, it's possible. I can keep pushing and one day it's going to work. So, yeah, these two things are very good to fight depression and losing motivation. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great way to see to to be inspired, right? In, to in those communities, I I would also caution against comparing yourself to these people because that is just like you don't know. Like even though they might also be building in public, you don't know the full story. Like, oh yeah, you don't know like the years they've put into it or the the, the fortunate moments of luck where everything kind of aligned for them and yeah. multiplied something. Or maybe they have like funding that you never thought about, right? They have a family has supported them in the crucial. Exactly, moments yeah. so it's you don't know these things so compare yourself just to yourself and i think that's that's good enough but yeah i i love that i love that your morning routine where other people have a a coffee and do some journaling is going on twitter that's awesome yeah. i love that that is so cool it's the same for me it's kind of i find a lot of my motivation too because there's there's something about leaving traces of whatever you're doing on twitter in the evening and then coming to it in the morning and having people say something about it I, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if you feel the same way, but sometimes when I, I don't release a blog post or an interview like this, and then I see a message with, hey, I really enjoyed it. That just gives me energy for the whole day. Like yeah, every no, single day yeah. I see a message like this and it's like, all right, keep doing what you're doing. Apparently people like it. It's it's a big deal. Yeah. But do you think you would be, um, could you build Logology the way you're building it without you being on Twitter as a distribution channel or as a way to find customers? Uh, the first ver the actual version that is still not pivoted, yes, because I think we could just do with SEO and we didn't change. I mean, since doing Twitter, we were so desperate to get sales and traffic that I mostly didn't touch the product for the past year. So the product didn't move much. So it was mostly built before that. So I can't say I got a lot of help from building public because of this. 
But so I think, yeah, with doing SEO instead could have worked, probably wouldn't have helped as much of the motivation part and all that that we just said. However, now I notice how this way of building a product isn't good. Uh, you know, because I know, we all know, you know, you need to start asking customers and then you validate with them. You know, we know all of these things, but knowing and realizing and really fully understanding is a different thing. And man, my course is the opposite approach and it worked so much better. Now, a part of it is because it's easier to sell a course. We all know this, but there's some delta that is also not that. That is just the way I built it. And I built it by the opposite of what I did Logology. The course was like not wanting to do it initially, but having an audience on Twitter, talking with people, seeing I could help them with that. So for a while, I just sent people tips on DMs. Then eventually compiled those tips, starting asking people more precise questions about what they wanted to know. Then designed a landing page to see if I could solve these problems and I could make it sexy with a landing page, not even visually, but just the copy. Can I make it appealing? Can I turn it into, oh, I want this kind of product? So I iterated on the copy before even doing the course, a uh, copy of the landing page. Then when I thought, okay, this, this can be killer. This is awesome. Then I started doing the course and then I sent it early access to a few people. They gave me feedback, improved it, released it, you know, and Agology was the opposite. It was like, we have a genius idea. We're just going to build it. And then, oh shit, who do we sell this to? Then find who we sell this to. And then, oh, we need to build an audience around it. And which, which is the complete opposite. And so now it inspired me. And so now next step is rebuilding Logology. I'm, I keep thinking of like Logology 2. It's like Logology 2. And Logology 2 is going to be this way. So even though I gave you, I, I told you ideas we had about how to pivot, we're going to start with people's problem. So I have my audience. I mean, my audience, you know, uh, but like there's people who follow me, let's say. Uh, and I just need to figure out their problem. And I already have some tips of that. So I'm going to build around that a vision for a landing page for Logology 2. And can it be appealing? Can it be sexy? Can it be, oh shit, I need that product. And once that's done, build Logology 2. And, you know, so yeah. yeah. That's like, it's like starting with your audience is a pretty good idea. Am I hearing that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, you know, I know we, all, I mean, we know this. It's something that's, it's an idea that you helped spread a lot, for example, but like really going through that and experimenting the difference in, in, eff in efficiency and success between my two products, like the course and the logology, such a, like, now I really don't understand how it seems stupid to do it otherwise now because do it differently. Cause like it's basically 10 X easier instead of, I mean, stop thinking of products, start thinking of audiences, people you care about, people you want to help and then build credibility with that and then build whatever the fuck they want. And that, that yeah, you can do, tell you. you know? Right. Uh, yeah. And that you can do obviously like something that you resonate with. Yeah, don't pick something that you don't want to do, but then, you know, we're still going to pick something we want to do about design, for example, but you know, do, do this and, and, and you can only have way more success. Yeah. Yeah. That's your special skill, right? At that moment, like whatever you create, the design part, the, the, the technical skill, that's yours, but the, the pro the problem, the need that's theirs. And yeah. For you to think that you understand what their problem is without talking to your customers. That's just like, that's arrogance in some way. I, oh, I yeah. feel I, I also, I come from the same background. I come from a product background and everything was like solution, 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 but nobody talked about the problems. Nobody talked about, you know, the specifics of, uh, um, people's underlying foundational issues. It, it always was, uh, yeah, something that you, you just kind of thought you knew and then you built. But obviously yeah, yeah. the best info products, the best courses, the best books, well, they come from somebody understanding exactly who to talk to and then listening and then building what people need, right? Creating the thing that people Yeah, you need, need all these skills of like translating a problem into an actual product. And that's a huge yes. uh, skill to have. But th that's the skill we used to have, you know, but you need the other part. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you had the opportunity to learn this because I I love that your experience with your Twitter course is now translating or will be translated into your product into oh, yeah, the future so of your that. software product. Yeah, it's just a really nice you know evolution of your entrepreneurial understanding 
thanks for sharing all of this with me. That was uh, a lot of insight into, uh, from the outside, it looks like, oh yeah, that guy just has a software product on the course, but man, there's so much more behind it, right? There's all this, there's the journey, the story, the the many things you could have done, didn't, yeah. didn't do, should have done, all of this. It's really nice. If people want to follow you, where should they go? Where should they find you and the things that you have to share with the world? So I would just direct people to my Twitter. Uh, you know, I don't want to make people go on 10 links, but let's say Twitter. <laughs> so that's Dago Renouf and then Logology because that's the baby. So Logology.co, it's with an Y at the end. And yeah, yeah as you see, I still suck at promoting. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I think you're doing a great job. Just you talking about the things you care about, that is promotion enough. You don't need to drop drop anything more than that. I think that's that's kind of one of the, the big learnings that I had in all of this. If you're just a person that people want to be interested in, if you're interesting enough, they will find the stuff that you have yeah. to share with them. Right? You don't have to push it in their faces. You just have to be yourself. And, and that shines through you very, very clearly. And that's way easier than doing marketing. You know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's just being yourself, right? How hard can it be? <laughs> Thanks so much for, for being on the show today. That was, that was wonderful. Thanks, Dr. Bear. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you, man. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books on my Twitter course there as well. And if you want to support me in the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will truly help the show. So thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.